Good morning, family. Let us uh, bow our head to go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we humbly approach your throne of grace this morning. We thank you, God, that you don't punish us according to what our sins deserve, but that punishment fell upon Jesus Christ. Today we're able to stand here, we're able to gather, we're able to worship you, Lord, because of your mercy, because of your grace. We pray this morning that you will have your way in us. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us. Draw our hearts closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's definitely a, a blessing to be able to be here with, with y'all family. Um, you know, thankful to the Lord for this opportunity. You know, <clears throat> got here this morning and uh, went over there next door and uh, got to enjoy some, some coffee and a little water and got to uh, be at the volunteer prayer meeting and being able to hear people's hearts as they're praying for, for the needs here it was an encouragement uh, to me and as a reminder um, how crucial it is, you know, for the body of Christ to come together um, and be praying for one another. And so as we work through this text, you know, I'm going to keep that in mind uh, uh, because ultimately when Peter was writing uh, to his audience at that time, you know, there's seasons that people go through. There's seasons of drought that people go through. There's seasons where there's nothing in the tank anymore. And so, you know, you're trying to do things, you know, you're trying to serve God and, you know, slowly you start shifting into a different direction and you begin to do what you normally do, the, the Christian thing, and, and we can easily begin to function out of a place of just duty versus delight. You know, like, let's gather together and let, let's, let's gather with one another and it becomes mechanical. Well, this is the right thing to do. And so we want to get to that place of worship where what we do is an act of worship to God. And so as we read through this text, as we, uh, um, you know, allow the Spirit of God to minister to our hearts as we're reading the text, I'm, my prayer is that heart, God would move our hearts draw closer to Him because it's only the nearness of God that, that sets our hearts on fire. And so that's my prayer today that, that our hearts will be tuned uh, in to, to hear from God today. And so let us go, as uh, Peter's introducing this part of the letter, you know, he, he's uh, talking right here to his audience. And, and I love the way he introduces this, this part of the letter because he goes on to say, Peter, a servant. He labels himself as a servant, a bond servant of Christ, right? And so I love his introduction right off the bat. Then he goes on to say that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now he goes on to say, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I love this because the first thing that we're seeing about the, the, the faith that he's uh, talking about is this faith, first of all, is in the Greek, pistis, which is a subjective faith. So follow with me. It's a subjective faith. 
It is a, a faith that, that lays a hold of Jesus, a, a faith that, that forsakes all other means of salvation and says, is Jesus alone? It is a faith that beholds the, the beauty of Jesus and says, there's nothing else in this world but Jesus alone. And so he's establishing this faith, but this is what he's saying about this faith. He says, this faith you have received. You and I have received this faith. We have obtained this faith. It is not by our human merits. It is not by our own strength. It is a faith that we have received. Peter knows that our feeble way of believing will easily fade away under hardship. You see, it's not our grip of God that holds us together. It's God's grip of us that holds us together. That is why it's a faith that we have received. So what is Peter communicating to his audience at that time and to us today? You see, the fact that any Christian still believes is an evidence of the mercy and goodness of God. It's not because of us, but because God is gracious, merciful. A quote that I read in regards to this part of the text says, Christians who survive a lifetime of trouble are not evidence of their own resilience, but instead they see increasingly clearly that any progress has been God's pure goodness. Out of his sheer grace, not our own doing, but his doing. So what is Peter saying about this faith? He goes on to the text and says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He says of equal standing with ours. Other translations would say, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. I love the way is being described that this faith is as precious as ours. So Peter here is saying that his faith and his audience's faith is as precious as his. They're the same. His is not better than theirs, and theirs is not better than his. Now keep in mind, 2 Peter is written later on in life, so more than likely, some of the people that are listening to this letter are younger in the faith than he is. Younger in the faith. But Peter is saying that although I am a witness to the living Jesus Christ, my faith is as precious as yours. Our faith is as precious as Peter's. It is an equal standing before God. It is the same access to God. There's no difference between a preacher and the person listening to the message. We all have this faith that gives us access to God. But what does this 
display about the heart of God. His impartiality. God's impartiality that he would swing wide open the doors of heaven and give access to anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. The beautiful heart of God. Can you imagine that you and I stand in same relation to God? The same precious faith that Peter had, that Paul had, that Calvin had, that Spurgeon had, that Sproul had, that we have the same precious faith. Can you imagine that? Allow that truth to sink in a little. Let it, let it sink in a little because this is what Peter is building up as he's laying this out for his audience. And so one would say, but man, why, why would God do that? And, and Peter tells them, you have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is pointing to the righteous character of God. He shows no impartiality. Then he goes on to say, in the next part that he's building up, in verse 3, he points to his divine power. And so the first thing that we're seeing is that he, is, he's establishing a framework for us, a framework for us to see life and godliness through. And so as he's establishing this framework in verse 3, he says, by his divine power. Now, whose divine power? Verse 2 ends with Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So this is a crucial part that Peter is establishing for his audience and for you and I. The first part of that framework is that the faith that we have received was the grace of God to us. There's nothing that we did. We play no role in that. God, out of His sheer grace, has chosen to plant that seed of faith in you and I. And it is of equal standing with one another. Then He's going to go on to the next part, which He's going to tell us that that same faith, though, you get the opportunity to nourish, supplement that faith. It's like planting that seed of faith in the soil. You and I still have to tend to the garden. You don't just abandon the flower there, right? For those who grow plants at home or have a garden at the house. Remember my grandma used to make us cut, pull out all the weeds. I'm like, man, grandma, why we got to do all that? Well, for a reason. Those weeds dry out the plants that are around there. And so we have to do our part in tilling the soil. And so this is what Peter is building up. You've received this faith. Now you and I are entrusted with the responsibility to cultivate that soil. So he points to Jesus' divine power. And as he's getting in, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things. Then he goes on to say, through the knowledge of him who called us, 
to his own glory. So he called us. That word right there is kaleo. Kaleo is the divine call of God whereby he calls you by name and you respond. Like Jesus calling Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? He responded. He didn't say maybe Jesus. He responded. Lazarus was dead, but it is the word of Jesus that gave him power to respond. Jesus' divine power. Follow with me Peter's train of thought here. Because now he's telling us that through his divine power, he's granted to us everything we need. So he's establishing that as Christians, Jesus' divine power gives us all things, not partially, but everything that you and I will need to live this life of faith. Everything. There's nothing that God withholds from us that is for our own good. Everything that we need. He equips us. He empowers us. He grants us what we need. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So there's two things going on here. There's a present reality that we have access to the divine power of God. But then he's also pointing to a future reality. He's pointing to a future reality, a then when we become partakers of this divine nature. What about this divine nature? He says that having escaped from the corruption that is in this sinful world because of sinful desires. Now, when do we finally escape the corruption that's in this world? As long as you and I are still living in this world, we're living in a broken and corrupt world. So what is then Peter talking about here? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. Amen to that. That is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a future time that also Peter is pointing to. So today, Christians, we are living in the now. We have access to Jesus' divine power that has been granted to us. But we're also looking to the then when we will finally be partakers of this divine nature. The Perishable to imperishable, the corrupt to the incorrupt. Keep in mind that 
There's a time and place where we will finally be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. We will be in glory with Jesus. So we're living between these two realities, the now and the then. But you and I have access to divine power. Now, when Peter uh, wrote this, in the Greek, verse 1 through 11 is one whole sentence. For those who are uh, grammar people here, they were like, wait a minute, imagine all the commas and everything that they're bypassing, right? So in here from verse 1 through 11, it's like one breath he's explaining something that's so important. And verse 2 and 3 holds this together. There's a connection that he's making in this one word, knowledge. Knowledge. In just these verses, there are several times that the word knowledge is mentioned. But there's two ways that it is mentioned. And the first one is gnosis, which is information knowledge. Example, like when you study the Word of God, you're learning about who? God. You say, it's okay, you can talk back, guys. It's all right. You're studying the Word of God. Then the next one is epignosis. Epignosis now is personal knowledge. You go from knowing things about God to knowing God personally. It's one thing to say you know something about somebody and a totally different thing when you say you know that person personally. So here in verse 2, when he's saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the epignosis of God, the personal knowledge of God. Then in verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through epignosis of Him. Personal knowledge of Jesus. So what is He saying that you and I have access to divine power in our relationship to Jesus? So how can you and I access divine power if we spend no time with Jesus? There is something crucial about this because we're reminded that we have access to divine power, but you also have to spend time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. For those who are married here and you know, we're married to our spouses. But if you only see her in the afternoon and, and you know, maybe for an hour and say, okay, I'll see you later, and you take off, and this is every day, you really only get to spend one hour with the person that you said you would spend the rest of your life with, and you hardly ever get to know them. Now imagine Jesus all eternity. How much more weight should be in our hearts to spend time with Jesus? To spend time with Jesus. 
so that we would have access to his divine power, so that we would live this life of faith. I mean, don't we need power that's not our own? Because if you continue to do ministry in your own power, what happens? Burnout. If you continue to uh, love your spouse in your own strength, what happens? Oh, well, I fell, in, I fell out of love. What? I'm just not feeling it today. Man, what's wrong with you? Love is not a, about your feelings. It's about a commitment that you have made, a decision of the will to love that person sacrificially. And so when we're seeing this experience, personal experience with Jesus, Jesus, this faith that you placed in my heart, you're giving me eyes to see your beauty, a new heart to feel your love. New desires to pursue you. And we continue to cultivate that. And so he goes on here and he's telling, uh, telling uh, his audience about this faith. Verse 5, 4, this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, I love this because he says, for this very reason, the reason that he just mentioned in verses 1 through 4, he Transitions, and he, he says, make every effort. Now, when we stop and think for a moment, there it says, make every effort. That's your own personal responsibility. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Not make every effort to replace your faith, but make every effort to supplement your faith. Other translations would say, nourish your faith. Many of us take vitamins, right? Went to the doctor, the doctor says, I need all kinds of vitamins now. So I have to take vitamins. And what do the vitamins do? They, they help me to be able to live a healthier, balanced life. So there's things that I still have to do. Exercise, eat broccoli and spinach and stuff like that, you know, my greens, which I wasn't used to. But these are things that I have to do. You and I have a personal responsibility to supplement our faith. It is our responsibility. And he goes on here by listing uh, these virtues. And now I'm going to go through these virtues. I'm not going to spend too much time in them. But as we go through these list of virtues, these are things that Peter says that it's important that we cultivate. Now, the first one, he says, uh, uh, nourish your faith with virtue. Now, virtue is Christ-like goodness. So your faith should display the goodness of Christ to others. The next thing, virtue with knowledge. Now, this is the second wording for knowledge, which is gnosis. This is an intellectual knowledge. So he's saying that this virtue with knowledge, so it's a knowledge about Jesus, the kind of knowledge that comes by reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. 
this is our responsibility. Or, 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 hold on. or you have access to it on the phone. It's a personal responsibility that we have. Access to reading the Word of God. Your responsibility and mine. Then he goes on to say, knowledge with self-control. As we study God's Word, we become more aware of God's will. His desires, His promises. It is His Spirit that guides us. We develop a sense of self-control. We learn to live a balanced life. And we do so because we want to please the Lord. Now, self-control with steadfastness. This steadfastness is a perseverance that, that is willing to press through difficult times because you're looking to the future promise of Christ. You're accessing His divine power, His strength for the journey. Now, steadfastness with godliness. Godliness is a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. Follow with me. An ungodly person lives their life as if there is no God. So godliness is a person that is aware of the presence of God in all circumstances. It's not only when things are going good, but even in the storms, Jesus is with us. Then he says godliness with brotherly affection. Now, I love this word here that Peter uses because here he's saying faith in Jesus impacts your relationships. It will impact your relationships. This implies that it must be experienced within community, within a Christian community. So the word brotherly also brings to mind family. We use, use this a lot at home, like family. Like we engage one another with family. And so we are family in Christ Jesus. Now, brotherly affection with love. So he goes from Philadelphia love to agape love. So this agape love here is the highest Christian characteristic that marks a believer. Sacrificial love, unconditional love. And so... This is how we love and care for people outside of our Christian community. The way we're living out our faith. Now, after he lists these qualities, look at what he does next in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, again, our own effort in there, are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. But it says, in the epignosis of the Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord, in the personal knowledge of the Lord. So when you're cultivating this, what is, is it doing but stirring the affections of your heart for more of Jesus and less of the world. Give me Jesus and take the world. So this is what is stirring up. When you first fell in love with your spouse, you would do whatever it took to spend time with them, right? 
take them out to the movies, take them out to maybe uh, playing a little golf or, or tennis or run at the park. You're always wanting to spend time with them. You're doing things to, to cultivate this love that you have for them. And so in here, this is what we're seeing, that we are to continue cultivating that soil with these uh, virtues that Peter is saying, but so that we would not be ineffective and fruitful in our relationship with Jesus. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted and he is blind. This has to do with our sight. So he's going to and he's saying, look, we have lost sight. What have we lost sight of? He's saying, you have forgotten that he, what, that he was cleansed from his former sins. So you and I have forgotten that we have been cleansed from our former sins. There's a story in the Gospels where uh, there's a woman that was weeping at the feet of Jesus. And everyone's tripping out on like, what, what is she doing? And Jesus says, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. And many of us have lost sight of how much we have been forgiven. When was the last time that you wept over your sin? The last time when you cried out to Jesus because he's so merciful to you. Because he has been so good to you. Nothing in our hands do we bring simply to the cross do we cling. There is nothing that we bring to the table. And even the strength to cling to Jesus comes from him. Amen and hallelujah. Have we lost sight? Have we lost sight of our debt? Have we lost sight how offensive our sins were to Jesus? Have we lost sight of the saving work of Jesus? Have we lost sight of what God has done to bring someone like you into his family? Have we lost sight? So the question then, how do we return to this? If we lost sight, how do we come back to this? Well, when Peter is establishing that we lost sight of this, what is precious to us is the gospel. The gospel that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Not of what we've done, but what, what Christ has done for us. We don't go before the altar and say, oh Lord, I'm glad that I'm not like that guy over there because look at all the good things that I've done. No, Jesus says that the tax collector who beat his chest and said, God be merciful unto me. Who left justified that day? The one who realized his brokenness before the Lord his desperate need for grace. And so in this then, we are to remind one another of the gospel. Not of the things that you have to do, but of what has been done for you. And I love the way Peter goes on to say 
in verse 10, he says, I mean, verse 11, be all the more, I mean, 10, my apologies. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. When you're reminded that you've been called by God, there was nothing that you did to deserve the mercy and grace of God. When you're reminded that long before you could ever have done something good or bad, God said, I am redeeming him. I am saving her. I am paying the price of my son's life on the cross to bring them into my family. What are you doing? You're stirring up your heart's affections. There's nothing that you did. When you're being reminded of what Christ has done for you, you begin to develop a thirst for Jesus, a hunger for Jesus. You begin to say, let me open the Word of God and see what He has to say to me today. What does God have to say today? Your heart's attention is looking to Jesus. Your heart's affections are being rekindled for Jesus. When you lost sight, we regain sight not by doing more, but by looking to Jesus. And so in here, uh, Peter is then saying in verse 12, uh, and, and, and he says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these things that, that we should be doing in our hearts so that we can draw closer to Jesus, which is Read the Word of God. Pray. When you're walking, talk to God. Invite Him into your mess. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of what you're going through. He's not thinking that your situation is too far for His control. Be reminded of how great our God is. It's not just morning songs that we sing. It's the praises and worship of our heart. Be reminded of who He is and what He has done for you. And, and Peter is telling them over and over again, I love, he says in verse 3, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then I'm, as long as I'm still alive, I'm going to continue to remind you of Jesus. I'm going to continue to remind you of the gospel. I'm going to continue to remind you. We're forgetful people, amen? Right? We begin to work in our own strength. We need to remind one another, you have access to divine power. How's your time with Jesus been? You have access to divine power to work through the situations we're going through. How's your time with Jesus been? Well, I've been busy. I've been doing other things. I mean, there's a lot of hours at work right now, and we're in need at work. But who supplies the strength for you to go to work? 
But you don't know, understand. There's a lot of situations that my family is going through. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was being broken and weeping before the Father. The anguish of what lay before him was there. If anyone understands, is Jesus. You have access to him. Let us, as Peter said, stir one another up by way of reminder. Spar our heads. Gracious God, Lord, if there is any here today that does not know you personally, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are stirring their affections of their heart, that they're saying, today I forsake all other means of salvation, and I look to Jesus alone. Come to Christ today. He is a merciful, merciful Savior. He will not reject you or deny you. He will meet you where you are at. Come to him today. But maybe there's people out here, my Lord, who have been doing the church thing, who have been doing the right things, but yet they feel so far away. With so many things that have happened last year and this year, and so, many, so much turmoil in, in, in our society and in our culture and in this world, God, that it has drained us. God, remind us to the access of divine power that we have in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Would you rekindle our hearts? Would you restore sight to us? God, we come to you in repentance because we've looked to other places that have not been you. And by faith, we look to you today. Thank you for the grace that you provide. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the resurrection that reminds us of the divine power that we have access to. Be with us this day. In Christ's name, amen.